Thank you, God, for your word. And thank you, God, for what you have taught us so much uh, as we've gone through this book uh, this far. I just pray that, God, the things that we learn in here, especially the the value of being obedient to what you put before us uh, and the consequences if we don't, that we would stick, that would stick in our minds that we are always faithful. God, I just pray for your words to say in this message that you would guide me and that you would bless this with uh, a clarity that even even more than what I could present it as, that you would be even more clear through your word. And I just pray that you bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. So after just going through that cycle, anybody here tired of it yet? Okay, we've gone over this enough times. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm tired of it too. But you know who else is tired of it? God is tired of it. And God's had to go see this cycle through his people forever. You fast forward however many thousands of years and you say to the modern world today, and we're still going through this same cycle. Maybe not as a nation, maybe as a nation, but to the extent of even in our own personal lives, we're going through the cycle. And I'm not here to, to like beat that down on you, but to, to lift God up and say, look how amazing of a God we have. That he hasn't said that's enough yet. That he's willing to be patient. He's still willing to forgive. He's still willing to rescue us. And he's still willing to give us peace. So just praise God just for that. Because that's uh, we have an amazing God. So uh, we're going to get to the, the part of a new step in the cycle that shows up today. That I don't think shows up anywhere else. So there's actually going to be a sixth cycle. Uh, sixth, sixth step in the cycle. There's a tongue twister for you. But it all starts with step number Number one, which is sin. It says after Ehud died, that's the left-handed fighter we saw last week. Uh, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. We find, um, you know, these people are still in the same right. They're still the same people doing the same thing. They are still people worshiping the false gods. There are still people who are intermarrying with the enemy. There are still people who are living just like the enemy. They're, 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 as long as the judge is alive, not, not the guy with the black robe on with the gavel saying order in the court, but the guy who's leading them, they're, they're walking in the right ways. But as soon as he dies, Judges 2.19 says they go wayward and they go even worse than they were before. Begs the question, whose faith were those Israelites living? If I'm only obedient when I have a judge leading me, do I really have faith? Or do I have the judge's faith? Now I'm here to, to talk to you younger generation. Everybody here whose parents are still alive. Your parents, who have, whose parents have already passed on, have already proved their faith. They are here today, or they are walking with the Lord, even though the past generation has passed on. You younger generation have the opportunity one day, when your parents pass away, to go and do exactly like these people did. As long as my parents are living, I'm going to walk with the Lord. But as soon as they, as soon as they pass on, I'm going to do whatever I want. You know, I have family that did that. Once grandpa, he was the, the patriarch, he was the one who kept that family going to church, walking with the Lord, at least in, in verbal. But as soon as he passed away, just about probably 75% of that family said goodbye. They don't go to church when they did. They don't go to Awana when they did. They don't have anything to do with the Lord when they did while he was alive. So younger generation, and I'm thinking to, about you kids now. 
You guys are going to grow up in a very tough world. It's tough now, but it's going to get tougher. Because there's enough people with faith now, but it's going to get watered down even worse. So I want to encourage you kids, make sure your faith is your own. So that when you go to school and you see other kids who claim saved or not start walking away from the Lord, you don't. When your mom and dad pass away and go to eternity, you say, I'm still going to be that faithful believer. Because in this gener- in this in this chapter, we see the same thing. As long as I had that authority over me, I will do the right thing. But once that authority goes away, I do whatever I want. So we can see that very that's a very real truth in our own lives as well. So the first step that they had was sin. Okay. Step number two was judgment. It says in chapter four, Judges chapter four, verse two. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hershah, Hagagoim. Whatever, however you pronounce that. Once again. What do you expect God to do? We've gone over this a couple of different times. Uh, you do the crime, you do the time. God is going to keep his word. He's faithful to do that whether anybody else does or not. He promised them, if you do the right thing, I will help you succeed. One of you is going to slay a thousand. That's incredible odds, but that's He-Man. I mean, that's Superman. I don't know, Arnold Schwarzenegger going off into battle and it's ridiculous. And he just defeats everybody. That's what it could have been like. If they would have walked with the Lord. But he says, if you don't, you're going to be stuck with these people forever. They're going to lead future generations away. You are going to face the consequences. And God did what he said he was going to do. As our scripture reading says, you reap what you sow. If you do bad, you're going to face the consequences. If you follow the Lord, you're going to reap the benefits. That's exactly what's happening. And it says that they were under verse 3. It says, because he had 900 chariots, or iron chariots, and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out for help. They were under cruel oppression for 20 years. You know, the first cycle, they were oppressed for 8 years. The second cycle was 18 years. Now we're up to 20 years. Uh, the next guy is Gideon, and I don't think it says. Who knows? These people are not getting the picture. I'm going to face this. It's going to get worse. The punishment is going to grow if I don't learn from the past. And they're not, so they're, they're facing this. Uh, Judges chapter 4 and 5 go together. Chapter 4 is the story. Chapter 5 is the song. And it has a lot of the history of what happened and the history of Israel. And it gets into some of the heroism. So I get a little bit more information from there. Uh, In Judges chapter 5 verse 6, it says there were abandoned roads. It says, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the roads were abandoned. Why? Because people, you had bandits out there. You had people out there who were going to take advantage of people. They were going to kill them because they were doing what was right in their own eyes. They don't have God as a moral compass. They're saying, I'm hungry. He's got something I want. I'm going to take it. That's kind of how that works. That's what a bad guy does. They have money. I want it. They have a car. I'm going to take it. That's exactly what's going on. It's going on. And so those roads, people say, I'm staying off of that. I do not want to lose my stuff. I don't want to lose my life. So they, they abandon the roads. Verse 7 gets a little bit more personal. It says the village life in Israel ceased. 
Oh, now I'm going to stay indoors because it's not safe to go out in my neighborhood, to go to the marketplace, to go visit with my friends. That's how bad it's getting because everybody is taking advantage of everybody as opposed to doing what they are supposed to be doing and walking with the Lord. They were all afraid. Verse 8. It says, not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 of Israel. This guy who was ruling was so tough upon them that he took away all their swords and their spears. How much, uh, how much, uh, Whereas kickback are you going to get, get again, it's going to get against a guy who without a sword or without a gun or without a spear, you have all the weapons, they have nothing. So he said, we're going to get rid of all of that. So these people are in a very poor shape. They're in a very desperate situation. And it says it was cruel. It was, it was a tough place to be, but why are they going through this? Because they sinned. This is the consequence it just is what it is. And then when we sin, the consequences is going to be what it is. And it's going to hurt. It might last a long time. Yeah, you just don't want to be messing with that. But that's what they did. That's what they reaped. So you have sin. You have judgment. And now you have repentance. Okay, I got to back up here a second. Not everybody understood why this was taking place. They didn't all know, they, I don't think they all understood why the, they were being oppressed, but Deborah did. She's going to be one of the, our heroines of our story. But it says, when they chose new gods, war came to the city gates. She knew what was the reason for all of this. And that's part of the song we're going to look at in a little bit. Um, but this is something that they invited upon themselves and somewhat knowingly. Okay, so number three, there is repentance. It says because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites, they say, we're going to wait 20 years. And then they cried out to the Lord for help. What do you call that? Stupid? You call that stubborn? You say, what, is, what, what, what would it take you 20 years to, to deal with that? I mean, what would take you 20 years to repent? But that's how long they waited. It was 20 years. You know, I'm kind of curious. I wish I could have a quick time out, ask God, how long did it take for you to respond? You know, you have all these people that are all of a sudden say 20 years is enough. God, please help me. Did God, I don't think he's sitting around waiting saying, I'm going to take my time. I think very quickly he's on the spot. He wants to help these people. I don't know. But what I do know is that God is a loving God who wants to forgive you. He wants to help you. He wants to uh, bless you if you're willing to turn to him immediately. There's a New Testament story uh, in, in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. He was a, there was two brothers. One said, you know what, dad? I don't like this life on the ranch. I just want my inheritance, whatever my share is. And he left. He bolted for the city. And he squandered everything that he had on women, on booze, on a good time. And then he, he didn't have anything left. And there was a famine. And all the people said, you don't have any money. Go away. And he ended up wandering around and he's, he's out trying to help feed himself with the pigs. He's taking care of pigs. And there's food and he's thinking, well, I can eat that. I'm hungry. My tummy is growling. But then he came to his senses. He says, you know what? My dad's a good guy. I can't go back as his son. But you know what? I can always work for my dad. Maybe he'll hire me. And so he swallows his pride and he starts heading home. 
And on his way home, dad's out there. And he's from a, a mile away, a great big distance. I don't know what it is, but his dad's out there. And his dad's out watching. And when his dad sees him, you know what he does? He runs home and he locks the door and he gets the gun. He says, no son of mine's coming back for anything who just did this to me. He started running. He went running to his son. The kids are probably like, well, my dad? What's he going to do? What's he going to do to me? But he runs to his son. And he holds his, his son. And he gives him a hug. He embraces his son. He says, my son who is lost is now alive. I love you. I forgive you. He brings him home. He... He, fat, he, he says, butchers the fat and calf. He gives him the coat. And he welcomes him home with love and forgiveness. That's the God that these people had. That's the God that I have, that we serve. is a God who's, who's not waiting there to beat you down because you are coming back to him again. He's a God who wants to open you with, or he wants to welcome you with open arms. He wants to love you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to move on from what's going on. And, and that's what you got to remember, whatever you've done. However many times that you've done it, don't put it off. Don't wait. Go to Jesus for for forgiveness and he will forgive you. God wants that. But the question is, you, are you willing to give up that sin? Are you willing to break down and say, no more, and I'm going to God for forgiveness? It's all freely there. It's written in black and white, even in red letters, how God will forgive you if you're willing to do that. But are you willing to say, I've had enough? Because it took 20 years. I said last week, it takes some people their whole lifetime before they'll ever break down and say, I've had enough. What about you? So we have sin. We have judgment. We have repentance. And now we have the rescue. And a little bit of... Last week with a little bit of graphic cartoon pictures, there's just one picture. I'm sorry, just go like this if you don't want to see it. We have Deborah first. There's three different people who work together to make this victory happen. Okay, so Deborah's the first one. So Judges chapter 4, uh, verse 4. It says, Deborah was a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. She was leading Israel at that time. So she's a prophetess. Um, A prophet is one who speaks on behalf of God. God in the New Testament had other females do that. In the Old Testament, there was a couple who did that as well. So that was she was the mouthpiece for God to speak his truth. She was a prophetess. But it says in verse 5, she was also a judge. She held court under the palm of Deborah between these cities in the hill country of Ephraim. She was actually the judge like you would picture. You know, in modern day, I got the black gown on, I got the gavel, I got the bailiff, you know, I got the court set up. That's what you what you could picture. Not exactly that background, but you get, she was the judge. She was deciding who was right and who was wrong, who was guilty and who was innocent. People came to her. I imagine God would have liked to have continued this idea of having men do that not because they're better but it's just a situation or the position he put them in but guess what's that speaking about the men back then they weren't qualified they weren't interested they didn't care so she's she's stepping up as far as i can tell and she's taking on this role so she's a prophetess she's a judge verse six and seven you find out she is a mouthpiece as a judge 
It says, She sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, not ask you, not suggest that you, he commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. Okay, there's the mountain. We'll, we'll talk about this a little bit. She was the mouthpiece. She said, I'm not the fighter. You're, I'm going to you because God's asked me to tell you this is what you need to do. So she's very, very involved in this so far. And she gets included as a judge in certain circles. Depending on who you are, she gets counted. So she's, she, she's counting right now in this, this list of judges. Then it says in verses 8 through 10 and verse 14, she was a support system. Okay, uh, verse 8 says, Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. I don't have the guts for that. And she said, very well, I'll go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, you big chicken, the honor will not be yours for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Uh, verse 14 says, Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak goes. So there, she, she's the mouthpiece. She's the, the encouragement. She's the one who says, I will help you. I will hold your hand. I will walk you up the mountain. Okay, I'm not going to hold your tool or your, your weapon for you, but I will hold your hand up the mountain. Because that's the kind of woman she is. She says, I will do it because I'm going to do what God has asked me to do to help deliver his people. So she's rescuer number one. But that's where she pretty much stops. Okay, rescuer number two is Barak. Now I just kind of teased on Barak and made him sound like a big wimp. You know, and, and partly he was. God told him, go and do this. I will help you. I mean, that should be pretty, pretty encouragement, good encouragement to go. Um, but now he's, 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 uh, certainly showing courage because just picture a whole bunch of people at the top of this mountain. Okay. That's pretty easy. Like a bunch of little stick figures down here. There's 900 chariots and there's people, the enemy, who knows how many people were around that are waiting to defeat him, right? Where are you going to go if you want to be safe? To the top, right? You, you come up and fight me. I'm not coming down to fight you. But God told him, or through Deborah, said, go down and fight them. And so he went with his men to go down. And he's going down not with swords and spears because they were already taken from him. So what are they fighting with? I got a club. I got my, my hoe. I got a rock. I got not much to fight with. So he's showing a lot of courage by going down the hill to the enemy where they're already at. 900 chariots ready to mow people down. I picture the chariots that have like those spikes out the sides of the wheels. You go, you go running down the hill and you're there. Chariot with spikes are going to just, you don't really have a chance against that. And so he's going into what looks like instant doom. I mean, like, like a really dumb thing to do, but he's going. And what he learns through all that is something that we need to remind for ourselves, is that the battle belongs to the Lord. Now, how did this battle get won? 
Well, God, I feel like, evens out the playing field a little bit. Uh, that's how I put it. In chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, this is part of the song. I, I came up with a really cool tune. So when we get there, I'm going to sing it for you. Just kidding. It says, From the heavens the stars fought. From the courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, O my soul, and be strong. You know what? There's, there's a brook around that mountain. And you know what happened? Is a flash flood. That's, that's what the commentaries say. I, I'm not smart enough to see that for myself. But a flash flood, it doesn't say that it was pouring down rain and you would expect it. It just gives you this idea that there's iron chariots everywhere. There's a little brook. And all of a sudden, like you see in the movies, this great big wall of water comes and all these chariots get stuck with, in all this mud. And so they're, they're left abandoned ships, so to speak, and just run for their lives, which they do. Most of them get caught. Sisera is one of the guys who, at the moment, is getting away with it. He's, he's, he's getting away and running for safety. So, we have Deborah who got the ball rolling. We have, uh, uh, Barak who's up on the mountain comes down with his men and they start fighting them as they're getting stuck in the water and their chariots are worthless and they're defeating them. So they're, they're, they're obviously, I'm hitting you with their claw, taking your sword and I'm going for it, right? They're, but they're, they're able to win because God gave them this victory. But this, the victory is not quite complete yet. Sisera is still on the loose. And God is going to be true to his word. And he's going to allow a woman to be the heroine. Finally, the last heroine uh, to c- kind of complete this story. And, and this woman's name is Jael. Okay, this is the graphic picture I was saying. And at first glance, it's pretty obvious that she was... The hero, right? Because what she did, I'll read it, I'll read it from the songs of, uh, uh of Judges chapter 5, verses 24 to 27. It says, Most blessed of women, BJL, the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of the tent dwelling women. He asked her for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered it to pieces, his temple. At her feet, at her feet he sank. He felt, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. So that's the story. And so you say, obviously, she's the hero, the heroine. She took out that last guy. And that's true. And the tent peg and this hammer wouldn't be too difficult. Women around then were, as they moved around, they set up the tent. She knew how to use this. She knew what it was capable of. It's going to be a lot easier to do what she did. And so obviously you say she was the hero. But you know, there's more to being a hero in this story than just the fact that she took out the king. Or she took out this commander. Um, if you would notice with me, please, in Judges chapter 4 verse 8... I'm sorry, not 4, verse 8. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there were friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber, the Kenite. There were friendly relations with the enemy. This enemy has been ruling part of God's territory for 20 years. And they said, we're going to be friends with the enemy. Ooh, 
That should not be. There's no way he should be friends with the enemy. But he is. And there's there's some debate on what was this guy doing being his friend? Was he taking care of the, the enemy's horses? Was he a snitch? What was he doing where he felt comfortable going into her tent and taking a nap? It should never have been a thought. But they were on friendly terms. And so he went where he felt safe. No, no, should not have been. She gave him more than he asked for. Chapter 4, verse 19. He says, I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. Obviously, if you're thirsty, that's what you want. But what did she give him? She opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. She says, oh, big boy, you're not, you're not going to make it through. You're tired. Why don't you just tell me this milk? It's warm. It will help make you sleepy. You're tired, like everybody is today. You're tired. Put down the blanket and go to sleep. And guess what he did? He started sleeping. And he started sleeping. And she says, oh, this doesn't get any easier. That's when she takes the tent peg and she's, she does her job. There's a little bit more to it than that. Because what she was called to be was to be hospitable. In that, in that area, if you were to have somebody over to your house, you were supposed to take care of them. You're supposed to provide for them. You're not supposed to kill them. Especially somebody who's a friend of your husband. You're supposed to be the hostess of hostess in that time. And she instead decided that she was going to kill her husband's friend, even though everybody around would be like, they probably would be glad that she did, but they'd be looking and saying, wait a second, you broke a cardinal rule of hospitality by doing that. And I think they would shun her and they would look down on her. So why did she do that? Why did she kill this guy in her own home as there was someone she's supposed to be hospitable why did she uh somebody that they were friendly with why did she kill her uh somebody that uh her husband was connected to because she said i care about what god thinks more than i care about what everybody else thinks she had nobody probably on her side except for god who is asking her to do this so I look and say, wow, it's more than just, yeah, you did this and you're the hero. There was a lot of pressure. There's a lot of background that went into this before she ever did that. That she had to, she had to look past her husband's friend. She had to look past her husband's feelings. She had to look past the social norms in order to do this. But she said, I'm choosing God over what man thinks. And I hope that's screaming in your ears. God is more important than what other people think. And whatever situation comes to mind, I hope that God's speaking to you because he's speaking to me. we got to be choosing what God wants over what people want. So, really quickly, we have sin. We have judgment. We have boo-hoo-hoo. We have rescue. And now verse 5 says, we have peace. Judges, or chapter 5, verse 31, uh, says, then the land had peace for 40 years. They went 40 years, they went 80 years, now they're back down to 40 years of peace, which is great. I'm sure a lot of people were relieved through the rest of their life that they had peace. But that's sad because it only lasted 40 years. Then they said, hey, that wheel was fun. Let's hop back on that and go around again, which you won't have to hear that about for for quite some time. 
The sixth part, the new cycle, the new step in the cycle that's not even up there, is a cycle of praise. Uh, Judges chapter 5 verse 1, it says, On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. And you can read it, you can put a tune to it, I did not even try... Uh, I'm not that musical, so I didn't try. But that's what they did. They they said, we're going to finish this upright. We are going to take the time to praise God after the storm. Now, if you, if this, this is new, right? Um, you don't have Othiniel singing a song. You don't have Ehud singing a song. You don't have Shamgar, who we just kind of glossed over on chapter 3, verse 31, singing a song. I imagine they took the time to praise God. God rescued us. He gave me ability that I did not have on my own. And I'm sure they took the time to praise God. I just think this was a big enough deal that this was included in the scripture. I mean, a whole song about the history of Israel and about what God accomplished. And so it got included. And so it's it's just something to, to keep in mind. It's great to have that peace. You know, it's great to be done with the trial of life. But when all is calm... It's always good to take the time to praise the Lord. And that's what they did. And why did they take the time to praise the Lord? Because they recognized that this was not something they were capable of doing on their own. They recognized that it was a pretty dumb idea to go down a mountain without really any weapons to fight 900 chariots of iron. They knew that didn't make any sense. But they looked and said, look what God did. It's amazing. It's a miracle. God rescued us. He's giving us peace. Everything is fine. And so they knew they couldn't do it. You know what I call it? I call it an act of grace. Because they didn't deserve forgiveness. They didn't deserve peace. They didn't deserve anything. But God says, I'm going to give you this peace as well. Grace is a gift that God offers that we all need, that we don't earn, that we can't pay back. We just, all we can do is respond to it. And that's what God's asking each of us to do. You know, you think about uh, today's Communion Sunday. And we're going to take the opportunity, because of the grace that we talked about in Sunday school, about the free gift of salvation that God gave to offer to each one of us, we're going to take the time and praise God. We're going to take the time and say, thank you, God, for that salvation that I do not deserve, that I so desperately need. Because we've all, whether whatever cycle of sin, whatever step we're in, we all fall into the cycle of sin in a major way. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we have all sinned. You know what you've done wrong, right? You can think of at least one thing. You say, yeah, that one thing, I've done that wrong. The Bible says we've all done something wrong. Well, the next part of the cycle of sin or of the cycle is judgment. The judgment is the wages of sin is death. It's separation from God forever in hell. That's the judgment that is coming if we don't do anything about it. Skip the repentance part and get to the rescue. God wants you to be rescued. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. He did what it was going to cost in order to rescue you. But you've got to take that step of repentance, of turning from your sin and turning to Jesus and trusting Him alone for your salvation. And if you do, you can have peace with God for all eternity. 
And that's what we're celebrating today. I've made it through the cycle of sin, and I'm going to go to heaven with Jesus forever. And I'm, I, we have the opportunity to praise God and to thank Him for it. Now, part of this is a little bit of bread and a little cup of juice. Steve made the bread. Steve pour, or, uh, Darren poured in the juice. And that bread represents Jesus' body. And that cup represents Jesus' blood. They're, 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 they're just regular items, but they represent something so much more. And we're going to take the opportunity to partake of that together. But the Bible says, if you don't have things right with God, don't do it. Right? If you have sin in your life, you, you say, I'm, I'm stuck in this sin part and I'm not willing to go past it, then don't do it. Don't take it. If you say, I don't know Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I'm not going to, then don't take it. Because it's not meant for you. It's meant for those of us who have have a right relationship with God right now. And we're going to take the time to make that right. And those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. So I just want to give you a couple minutes to do it. To make it right with God. If you need to confess it, confess it and be done with it. If you need uh, salvation, right now ask Jesus to forgive you and trust Him as your Savior and he, He'll save you. There's no special words to say. He knows what's on the inside and He's going to make it stick. So let's take a couple minutes and pray.